In today's episode of the OCR Underground Show, I'm going to get into how to plan for your 2021 season. We're going to talk about the truth behind HIIT training, research on running faster, and I have Dr. Brianne Showman on to share some of her best training strategies. Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, this is episode 76 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you for joining me. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 67. I can't believe it. It's February, and um, I was hoping to get way more podcasts out. I've been getting some, some emails and comments asking when the next one would be out, and I know it's been way too long, and I've said this before, but the year, last year, this year, keeps getting crazier and crazier, And um, but here is the episode, and, and hopefully I can get back on a regular program and, and get more content out, content out, which is great for you guys, and, and hopefully it's going to help with, with your training needs, um, but it is also going to be great to my sponsors so they don't kill me for not getting more regular episodes out. Speaking of which, I want to talk about uh, my sponsors who have been so supportive through this entire time. Uh, First, there's some big things with Venga CBD that I want to let you guys know about. Uh, They did just release their 2021 training calendar, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later in this episode, but it's really cool. They've had this for the past couple years, and I've always used it to plan out my training schedule. Um, uh, so many cool things on there, track your races, track your training. They make it really easy to track the different phases that you might be going through. There's a goal tracker, uh, really, really cool thing. Now you can, you can download that for free or, um, and print it out on your own or, or they'll print it out. And for a small fee, they'll, they'll send it over to you. Um, you can check that out at vengacbd.com slash OCR underground. And, and you can see the, uh, the training calendars that they have available there that is definitely helpful to plan out your your race year and, and not just your race year but just your training in general um, and I also want to let you know that they actually have some great things that they are offering all of my listeners um, actually you can now get 25% off your first order of any of their awesome CBD products uh, you can head on over to that same link and you can even get 50% off your first order when you sign up as a monthly subscriber. So really cool stuff from Venga CBD. Again, vengacbd.com slash OCR underground, and you'll see all those special links and promotions on that website there. I also wanted to let you know about FitBar Strong. I know with this this craziness we've been going through, it's been hard to find gym equipment, um, but they have plenty of OCR specific training items that you can start to build a really pretty sweet OCR gym in your garage or, or at your home or even in your gym. Um, but I know it's, it's been tough to, to get out there and train for a lot of the uh, things that we typically train for, depending on where you are and different lockdowns and, and things like that. Uh, so Fitbar Strong has some really great products where you can get some very specific OCR training in without having to build any elaborate courses or, or anything like that in your backyard. So uh, check them out, fitbarstrong.com. And remember with OCR Underground, you get 10% off your order. 
So to get this episode started, I, I mentioned the, the Venga CBD training calendar, and I wanted to touch on that because obviously between last year and this year, it's been really hard to plan for things to, to know, hey, when a race is going to be. And, you know, I get that question all the time. And, and you know, my guess is as good as yours. It's, it's just really hard to tell. And I, you know, definitely think it just depends on where you are, where when certain races are going to be starting. And, and some might be actually starting very soon in the next few weeks. So we'll just kind of see how it all all plays out. But either way, even with all of this unknown, I still want to plan and I, I want my clients to plan. And we are, are going to still move ahead. Like races are going to happen again. And, and I want to be ready. I want to be ready to go as quickly as I can once those dates are officially set and, and kind of built from there. So I wanted to start this episode since we're, you know, a little bit into 2021 now, but we're, you know, still early in the year and we have lots of time to to plan ahead. So I just wanted to give you kind of my strategy on how this year in particular, I am going to set up my training program and my training calendar. So I am using the uh, Venga CBCD training calendar and, and I'll probably put a little uh, picture in the show notes so you can see kind of what mine looks like. Uh, to hopefully explain how I'm, I'm setting it up uh, through this episode. So uh, how I'm going to attack it is I'm going to look at the year and just break it up into quarters. And, you know, I have different confidence levels of when races will actually start um, throughout each of these different quarters. So what I'm going to do, and, and not that different than how I normally set up my, my training plan, is I'm, I'm working backwards because I feel very confident that in the last quarter of the year that there will be races and they'll be pretty easily uh, accessible for, for most people, um, if not everyone. So that's where I'm going to start. If I'm, if I'm the most confident that I'm going to be racing in October, November, December, uh, that's where I'm going to start. So I'm going through the, the calendar to see which races that, um, one, I just would like to, to run and then, um, just get them on the calendar. And that's that's where I'm starting. Uh, then I'm just gonna go back. Now uh, I'm gonna go into the, the next quarter. So the third quarter. So now we're looking at um, August, September, October. I, I'm pretty confident that we're gonna see races in this quarter as well. Um, you know, maybe not as confident as the end of the year, but still I'm, I'm pretty confident that we'll be racing throughout the, the third quarter. So again, I'm going through, I'm going to list out which races that I would like to do and then, um, going from there. Now, as we get into the second quarter, not super confident, it might happen, it might not, but there's still races out there and they're on the schedule. So I'm going to go through again, write down the ones that I would like to do. So I, I'm starting to get my calendar filled out. And then moving into our um, first quarter, so you know January, February, March, you know I'm least confident, and, and these races going off, and you know especially near me, um, I'll I'll be very surprised if they actually happen, but they might, and I do want to be prepared for them. So I may not be signing up for all of these races, but I am marking them down like I I was going to train for them. So that's how I start. So I have my year planned out. So first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, all of my races and kind of all my confidence levels of when um, I potentially might be racing. Now I'm going to go through like any other year and do kind of my ABC game. So I want to see going back to that that fourth quarter, which races and actually I'll probably go the, the second half of the year out of those six months, 
which races, if they happened, and again, that's my most confident time that we will be racing, which ones would I like to, to peak for? So I'm gonna mark those down and I like to color code it just so I can see it on my calendar. So I pick a, you know, pick a color and I'm gonna highlight those races as my A races. So in those six months, I'm probably going to pick two races, maybe three, right? So I don't, I'm not trying to peak for every race. I'm, I'm gonna pick the ones that I specifically wanna see the, the best improvements for. That doesn't mean I'm not training for all the other ones, we'll get into those, but where would I, if, you know, in a perfect world, would I have my best performance in these two, maybe three races throughout those, those six months? Then I'm gonna to go to my B races, these ones that I, um, I still wanna perform well, but I just, I'm sacrificing a little bit. The other ones are slightly uh, more important to me. Uh, so these ones will kind of take a back seat to those races. So I'm still hoping for a, a good performance at these races, um, but my training will not directly relate to these races. So I just kind of have those in mind. Uh, and those few races, I'm going to highlight a different color. So I know these ones are my B races. If anything changes, obviously I can always change and you know I might move an A race to a B or a B to an A, but I have those planned out at least. And then finally, basically everything else is going to be a C race for me. These ones are not specifically um, training to peak at any of these. They're probably more fun. Maybe I'll be running with clients. I'll be running uh, with my wife. Um, or I'm just going to use it as like a training practice. And, and really, you know, I'm, I'm going to set up, you know, the distances are more geared towards the, the A races or even the B races. So these ones are typically just more fun, hopefully less stress, less pressure going into these races. So um, I'm just gonna have fun with them using that as learning experiences. And, uh, and that's how I'll have my training set up. So now when I create my training programs, I can look at the calendar and that's why I like the, the Vanga CBD. I can, I can look at my weeks to see uh, where should I have my most intense workouts? Where should I be backing off? Where do I, what races are more important to taper? Which ones maybe are not important at all to taper if, if I'm just kind of using it as a training day. Uh, so now I can start blocking off different sections of the calendar um, specifically to, to peak for, for those races or, or whatever I need to do. So that's, that's how I'm setting up this year. So honestly, it's not that different than any year. I, I typically go through all my training calendars like this. This year is just a little bit different because there's a good chance some races that I write on the calendar won't, won't happen. But here, and here's the kind of final thing I want to talk about with this. Those are still important. I, I put the date on the calendar. So if I'm signing up for a race in May and it does not happen, that doesn't mean, you know, I throw everything away. All that means is I need to substitute that with something. So what I'm going to plan on doing is for these early races, I'm going to have, you know, kind of a backup plan where if the race doesn't go off, I'm going to do my own race. So it might just be, well, I was going to do a super, so I'm going to do a competitive 10K and that could just be on my own. Um, it could be, you know, setting something up where I do just a very intense workout to try and simulate what a race would feel like the best that I can with what I have available, uh, whatever it might be. So, um, so I'm still having those dates highlighted because if, if the race doesn't happen, something big will happen on that day. So that just means it's going to be a big training day for me. And that way I can kind of keep on track and, and I won't feel like my training is, is going nowhere. It's, it's still going to have that test that I want to make sure I'm making those improvements. So, 
hopefully that gives you a little bit of guidance so you have an idea of how to set up your training plan with with so much unknowns so even if races don't happen you can still um, take advantage of, of, of having that system in place and, and seeing the benefits. So again, I hope that's, that's helpful. Um, but let's get into the rest of this week's episode. Okay, let's get into the Inside Mike's Mind segment of the, the show. And I think I have a good rant for, for today. And I want to talk about HIT training, um, and I can we can this can be H I T H I I T. So, and 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 maybe I want to attack the interval training, so high intensity interval training methods, because obviously this has become super popular, and you just see it all over the place. And I want it when you look at a lot of programs that are posted online. I think there are a lot of misinformation or unrealistic expectations for for this type of training so obviously like it says it's high intensity these workouts are going to be hard they should be uncomfortable and you should really be pushing yourself and you know if we're going to define i guess that's a good place to start what does high intensity mean uh obviously it's going to mean different intensities for different people but we we kind of have to have that that point of well what is high intensity and if we're going to look at what a lot of research would show, high intensity, obviously you're going at high percentages of, of heart rate, so 85-ish percent and above. Um, typically, you're seeing intensities that are kind of at or above your anaerobic threshold. So those intensities where you're, you know, you're fueled pri- primarily by the anaerobic systems and uh, you cannot maintain for a long period of time and that's hence interval training because you can't maintain these intensities for very long so this is why i'm such a big fan of doing some type of metabolic testing because you you get very specific numbers if you know what heart rate your your uh, anaerobic threshold is or your lactate threshold you will know hey if i'm going to do interval training i need to hit numbers at or above you know this heart rate for my sprint or circuit or or whatever it might be uh, and if I'm not, then that's okay. Just realize that's not high intensity training. Um, and you may not want high intensity training, right? We don't want to do that type of training all the time. But these are very specific numbers. All of the benefits you see out of doing high intensity training, and there are a ton of them, which is why it has become so popular. We get those benefits because we are hitting such high intensities. Now, when you see a lot of the workouts that I'll see posted where people are doing, you know, like a minute of, of uh, high intensity effort, that's great. You can definitely push hard for a minute. But now we have to look at not just the work period, the, the recovery. And you might see these workouts where somebody's, you know, pushing hard for a minute and then resting for 10 seconds or something like that or 20 seconds. Uh, these are unrealistic programs to follow. Not, you know, you might be able to make it through something like this, but you cannot hit the intensities you need to with such a short uh, recovery period. The goal, and I, I think this is the main point I want to bring up in this rant, is when you're doing high intensity interval training, the reason it works so good is because you are hitting those short bursts of high intensity. 
if you don't have enough recovery, it's impossible to hit the high intensity again. So now if I'm trying to go like a minute sprint with a 10 second recovery or something like that, sprint one's probably fine. Sprint two is probably okay. Anything more than that, there is no way you can recover for 10 seconds and be able to sprint again or whatever the, the effort you're trying to put out there. So we, we just want to make sure we're understanding what the point of doing this type of training is. We have to have a hard work period. Like I said, you need fairly high intensities. Again, just throwing a number out there, roughly 85% of your, of your max heart rate, but everyone will be different. So that, that can be plus or minus a little bit. Um, and then that's one part. Now, part two is you have to recover enough in order for your next bout to hit high intensity again. So sure, there'll be some drop off. You know, if you're doing, you know, 10 rounds of a 30 second sprint, the difference between your first and your last one, you know, will be noticeable, but it shouldn't be dramatically different. So these are really important things that I, I think will help your interval training if you start tracking it a little bit better. So you can track things like heart rate, that's part of it, but that can be misleading sometimes because you might just be getting tired and your heart's working really hard because it can't maintain the effort that you're trying to put out. So use heart rate, but if if you can, you're gonna wanna try and um, track performance in each interval as well. And you shouldn't see too much of a drop-off in performance. So I'm just gonna stick to running uh, as, a, as an easy example. Let's say we're doing a hill sprint uh, and we're gonna do like a 30 second really hard, you know, all out effort sprinting up that hill. So the nice thing with hill sprints is you kind of have to rest because you have to walk back down um, and that gives you time to recover. But here's here's where I think the magic will start to happen when you when you track things like like how far you ran. So you can do pacing, distance, things like that. I with hill training uh, or hill sprints, I think distance is great because it's super easy. You know, you start at the bottom of the hill and you have 30 seconds to run as far as you can. Now, when you get done with that 30 seconds, you need to mark that spot, right? So have a cone, you know, something that, okay, I made it this far in my first round. Now, for every set to follow that, the goal is to match that distance. So you might have some, you know, sometimes the first one's a little, little slow because you're just kind of getting used to it. And you might see the next set, you get a little bit further and a little bit further. Uh, but the idea is we're at least matching that effort. If all of a sudden we see, you know, by the last few, we can't even reach, you know, we're not even close to that same distance anymore. We've, we're missing out on the benefits of this type of, of training. And now we're just punishing our bodies a little bit. So I think there's a couple things you can do here. You can try longer rest periods, which is a great place to start. So if you notice that, hey, you're in sprint number six and you, you just can't reach that marker anymore, I think you should increase your rest periods. It doesn't, there's no rule that says, hey, you have to do 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or 30, 60, or whatever it is. You, you rest as much as you need to in order to, to continue that high intensity effort, right? So um, you, can, you have some luxury there to, to tweak those a little bit. So try resting a little bit longer and see if, hey, did a little bit of extra rest help you get that 
that distance and, and you can push that intensity a little bit harder. If so, then keep going. If you can't, and it doesn't matter how long you rest, your body's just saying, um, you're done. I think that's when you cut it short, right? Maybe you had 10, 10 rounds planned, but you got through six and you just really can't maintain that intensity anymore. I think there's more benefit in stopping there versus finishing with kind of crappy, crappy sets there. Um, so, uh, that's an option as well. So if, if the longer rest period doesn't work, then, then just cut the workout short. And now, you know, Hey, I made it six last time. Next time I want to see if I can add, add a round onto there. So, um, lots of different ways that we can, we can play around with that. But this is where the magic happens in high intensity, specifically high intensity interval training. It's, it's not just going through intervals and trying to push hard rest, push hard. Uh, there's, there is a science literally behind all of this and we need to make sure we're applying it. So when you, when you see those workouts pop up online, take a look and see, is this possible to maintain a hard effort for every round or is it, is it just unreal realistic? Um, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, we, we see the popular Tabata intervals and I, and I love Tabata intervals. I think there, there, there's a great place for, for putting these in specific ways, but if you're, you know, really trying to stick to that intensity over eight rounds of 20 seconds with a 10 second, uh, recovery, most people can't handle that. That's, that's just way too intense to go 20 seconds on with a 10 second break. Um, you know, that's, that's just crazy to, to maintain that amount intensity for, for that long. But I, I do love modifying it to, I think, uh, areas that's a little bit more realistic for people to in, maintain intensity and have some recovery in order to get the benefits of that style of training. All right, so hopefully that helps and, and uh, really gives you some good structure when you're putting together your different interval training workouts. All right, well, it's time for my research review and I have a, a great one that I wanted to share with you. Uh, uh, we're gonna be looking at jumping and uh, sprint performance, so how fast you can run and, and jumping abilities. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a former jumper and I always love talking about studies that, that show the impact of what, what power training and jumping can do on all sorts of different things. And I thought this was a really unique uh, article looking specifically, specifically at asymmetries. So looking at left and right imbalances that m many people have and are just not aware of. So in this study, they actually looked at soccer players. So it was a group of female soccer players. And, you know, if you listen to the some of the studies I've done in the past, I, I don't always look at runners. You know, I want to look at a, a broad range of different research. I still think we get a ton of great information, even though you may not be training for uh, soccer specifically. So uh, what they did in the study, they took, a, again, a group of female soccer players and they tested them in a few different ways. They had them do a single, a single leg counter movement jump for height so kind of like a uh you're you know testing your vertical just doing it on one leg they also looked at a single triple and crossover hop for distance and then they looked at a 20 meter sprint time how fast they were so what they wanted to see is if you know they look at all this data was there a relationship between left and right sides both with vertical jumping and horizontal jumping and uh and a relationship with with sprint performance and they had some pretty interesting findings they, they actually found that uh, that single leg uh, vertical jump 
was the best predictor of sprint speed. So they found those that had an asymmetry, uh, a significant asymmetry between their how high they can jump off their left foot and with their right foot, those were the slowest sprinters. So that was pretty interesting. And and they found, you know, what's, you know, you're never going to be perfectly balanced left and right side, but they should be close. And they found when there was a, a 12, a, roughly a, a 12% difference between left and right. So not a huge difference, but uh, that was significant enough to see a negative um, result from that asymmetry. Uh, and they also found, even though it wasn't quite as strong, they did find a negative relationship or correlation between the horizontal, so the single and the triple horizontal jumps. So uh, basically with, that's like a broad jump. So you're gonna, the, the vertical jump is, is how high you can jump off one leg. The horizontal ones, it's one, how far can you jump off one leg one time? And then the triple jump is where they actually do it three times in a row. So you have to kind of recycle energy and, and bounce uh, from one to the next jump. So all of this, what it basically says is those that either uh, had a vertical or a horizontal difference in their jumping ability, their power production between left and right side um, that had a significant difference were the slowest sprinters. Um, I think this makes total sense um, when you think about it, but I also think it's something that most people really never think of. You know, it's when you look at some of the, you know, runners out there that that's primarily what they do. They've, they've kind of failed to embrace strength and power training because, you know, a lot of times they feel it's going to bulk them up or slow them down. But really what this is just another study showing how all of these types of training can help with running. But that being said, um, we have to be careful attention to to really work more unilateral exercises. Now, bilateral exercises are great. You know, doing your squats and your deadlifts, um, those are important. But if that's all you're doing, you're you're missing out on a lot and you may not be really working on improving any of these imbalances. So making sure you're doing more single leg exercises, whether it be strength, you know, your deadlifts, your single leg deadlifts, single leg squats, uh, roof elevated split squats, even lunges, uh, step ups, you know, all, all of these ones that are really targeting that one leg. When you're doing primarily bilateral exercises, you may not realize it, but there's a good chance that you are compensating with one side you know, your stronger side over the other. And it's, it's amazing when you start to uh, do more single leg training, you really notice how one, one side's not too bad. And then you really struggle with the other. So if you notice, if, if you're trying to do a single leg exercise and one side side is significantly harder, this is a sign that you really need to work on improving some of these imbalances here. Now, once you've worked on really improving that single leg strength, the, the next logical step, and really what the focus of this study was on, is improve, improving power production uh, with using unilateral or single leg exercises. So, you know, to just take a, a simple example off the top of my head, you know, look at a box jump. You know, most people, when they do their box jumps, it's double leg hops onto a box. Um, single leg box jumps is, is an awesome exercise. And obviously, yes, it's harder and requires a higher level of skill. That's why you want to work on your strength first and really develop that single leg strength before you start trying any, uh, you know, higher or more advanced single leg power exercises. But if we just use a single leg box jump as an example, this might be a great way to kind of test out your power production. So if you, you know, maybe start on your dominant side and, and see kind of how high of a box you can go on. And let's just say you can, on your, on your strong side, your right side, you can, you can get onto an 18 inch box, um, 
with a single leg hop. And then you switch to your left side and you're on, you know, a 12 inch or, or nine inch box. You know, that's a pretty significant um, discrepancy there. So this is a great example of where, hey, okay, make sure you're improving that strength, but now we need to follow it up with some power development and doing more single leg, you know, single leg hopping, single leg box jumps, uh, step jumps, lunge jumps, bounding. There's so many different awesome single leg exercises you can do. But let's look at really what this study found was the, these jumping relationships on your speed. How fast are you going to be? Now, when you're running, you need to generate force from the ground up. You're, you need to push energy into the ground uh, in order to, to develop more speed and more, more force. And strength training, power training are great ways to improve that power development where you can really generate more, more force. Now, running is a single leg exercise, right? You're, you're never on two, two legs when you're running. So it only makes sense that doing incorporating more single leg work is obviously going to be your best option with um with you know running performance specifically now i'm not saying throw away your your bilateral or or two-legged exercises but if that's kind of been your showcase you know your squats and, and deadlifts of your workouts i would highly recommend kind of flipping that around use those more as your assistant exercises and your primary lifts being more of those single leg uh strength and then eventually your single leg power movements there right so Remember, the ultimate goal is being able to create power and then being able to recycle that power, right? So every step, it, it should be light and, and quick and, you know, uh, improving that stride frequency, but still creating force. And that's where we have that balance between strength and power and where we see it displayed with our, our running ability. So I thought that was a great, great study uh, really um, drives home that point that, hey, we need to be focusing a little bit more on unilateral work and you know building a better balance between our left and right side with strength but ultimately with with power development as well all right guys well it is time for our uh interview section of the podcast and today i have brian showman Brianne is a lot of things. So she's a doctor of physical therapy. Um, she's a functional movement specialist, uh, running technique specialist, and a barefoot training specialist, among just a few things. So uh, Brianne, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thank you. So I'm really excited to get you on here. You're also, I did mention, a, a podcast host as, as well, and I had the opportunity to hop on there. A great show. Talk about some really interesting things specifically for, well, really not just athletes. Anybody in general will benefit from, from a lot of the topics on there, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that. Um, but how, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be alive always. Um, <laughs> I'm surviving this cold spell that we're getting right now in Phoenix, but... Uh, Life is good. I know we're you know out in San Diego. We're getting that same uh, coldness. I mean, it was in the forties this morning, maybe even colder. And we're just everybody listening, like on the East Coast, and is like, you guys are <laughs> such wimps, and we are, but uh, it's cold. <laughs> yeah, we actually had outlying areas, and actually some of Scottsdale um, had some snow flurries on. I think it was Monday or Tuesday this week. It was crazy. Wow, that is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully we get back into the warm weather soon out here. I'm, I'm definitely ready for that and no rain or anything crazy. Um, so I wanted to start out. So this is uh, my first 
podcast of the year of, of 2021. And obviously last year was a struggle for many, many different reasons. But I, I just wanted to check in on you and kind of see how you dealt with, you know, the whole situation and in, in terms of your health training, and then, you know, working with clients. So kind of why don't we start there and just what, what was 2020 like for you? <laughs> you know, I, I understand 2020 was a rough year for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And now that I didn't have some negative aspects that, or some things that could be viewed negatively in my life too. But for me, there was a lot of really good personal growth, um, some good business growth, not necessarily financially as I was kind of stagnant for a lot of last year, started growing a little bit towards the end, but um, figuring out some just different directions to go with things, some new ideas, getting a lot of clarity on things um, from a personal and a professional standpoint. Um, so that was all really, really good for me. Um, had a lot of good growth and it's really funny, actually late 2019, early 2020, I started having this idea of opening like a full wellness center and bringing in like all sorts of different coaches. And then COVID hit, I'm like, I don't want brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, no, this is a bad idea. So that, that idea is out of the picture right now. Yeah. 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 Um, training wise for me, kind of good and bad overall. It was good. Um, gyms closed. I just shifted what I was doing a lot more time on the trails, doing a lot more, just like carries and just kind of crazy stuff. And then one too many times on the trail, I sprained my foot, <laughs> mm. was in a boot, had PRP for a while. So that took me out of training for a good amount of time. Um, but it was good learning experience for me as a coach. And as a clinician, I've been having just the rehab process. I've been having a lot of fun, just like it's a pretty rare injury. So it's allowed me to just be creative with exercises and create new things and figure out like how to just, yeah, just a lot of creation of new exercises. It's actually been a lot of fun. That's awesome. And, you know, so you, you brought up a lot of good points and I know one of the, the last episodes that I did get to record um, I was trying to look at last year as just like you started where, yeah, it was, it's easy to focus on the bad stuff, but I bet everybody could think about some good stuff that came out of it, whether it's training wise, health wise, financial work, whatever it is it, you know, you might have to look a little bit harder than usual, but, um, same, same thing. Hopefully you took advantage of it where, you know, like you were saying, I tried to take a few courses online, you know, that I had extra time and, and kind of go through those things. So, um, or if nothing else, it gave you some perspective and, um, you know, some different um, paths that you may want to take if you saw that, you know what, I was going to go this way. And, you know, for now, that's maybe not the best way to go, but I can reinvent things and, and go from there. Um, I, I think uh, you brought up a good point. So with with gyms closing down, you know, we were kind of stuck in our garage workouts. So it sounded like you adapted. And I think we we all had to in some form. And uh, some fought it more than others, probably. And some embraced it where, like you said, yeah, we hit the trail. I did some carries and I have my body weight and all these things. And a lot of people were like, but I want to do all this other stuff. And it was like, well, you can't. Um, so maybe talk about that a little bit. So how, like, what, what was your thought process from going to, okay, I have pretty much anything I want, you know, in the gym setting to now I don't. So where did you go? Because some people might be still stuck in kind of that either they, their gyms still aren't open or they, maybe they don't feel comfortable to go there and they're kind of still stuck with not sure what to do. Equipment is hard to come by these days because everybody bought it. 
Um, so um, maybe just give some insight on that. Yeah, so I do have some light equipment here. I have some adjustable dumbbells that go up to 50 pounds. I have kettle, three kettlebells. I have a 10, 15 and 20 pounds. So it's all lighter stuff, but um, so I did lose some of my strength in the process. So I wasn't able to have a heavy barbell loaded to do stuff, but I could still use, just do like higher volume, lower weight workouts to at least still tax the system. Um, there's actually a park less than a mile from where I live that actually is, has a really good hill on it. So I would go there and do like five hills and then do a set of like some body weight movements. And then I do five hills again, and then come back down do another set of like 50 of a different body weight movement. And just really started playing around with like what kettlebell complexes can I create? What dumbbell mm -hmm. complexes can I create? And just, um, have a lot more just fun playing around with workouts than more of than the like stressful taxing your body workouts. Yeah. And it, it can still be stressful. You know, it can still be taxing on the body. If oh, you absolutely. put, put, put yourself in a maybe awkward or uncomfortable position that you're not quite used to. I know for me, one, one exercise I just got super into, I mean, you can see behind me, um, if you're watching the, the recording, I have some weights, I have some sandbags and some barbells and stuff. And this is my garage. Um, but I like playing around with body weight stuff too. And I got really into like skater squats and single leg squats and I was really, really bad at them, you know, and it's just cause I'm used to holding on to stuff and, um, you know, using weights sometimes to help you with stability, you get rid of that. And now, but now I, I'm a, you know, I'm not gonna say I'm a pro, but I'm pretty good and I can, I can get some good mobility and good strength. And I think that's, it just came down to, you know, wipe away all this stuff and you can still do a ton of stuff. You just have to get creative there. Yeah. And I did have a lot of fun with that too. Just same thing. Like what are these random movements that just could be like a lot of single leg stuff that is just fun and challenging to attempt and perfect and, and just really, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with your background, you know, you're a coach, you're a therapist. Um, so I always, I, admire that because you have both ends to work with and you can really look at it two different ways. Are we looking for performance or strength or, you know, more of a fitness side of it, or is it more of a health medical um, injury side of it? And I think with, you know, with the sport of OCR, people love to just crush it. You know, they love to go hard and nothing against that. I, I like, you know, it's fun to push yourself and see what you can do, but it, there's always a cost to some of those things. So, I want to start with just in your experience, where, where maybe the top few things where you think people go wrong with where I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but maybe just some common things where they just maybe don't think about something they go, they go all in right for it. And now we're, we're set back because I have an injury. Yeah. I think you started with a good, good one, which is going hard all the time. Um, really in our training, we shouldn't be going hundred percent all the time. And rarely, like, it may look like I'm pushing hard at hundred percent every time of the gym, but I guarantee you I'm not, I'm going maybe 78% most times. And then once every week, maybe every two weeks, I will do one of those workouts that like taxes you to all. And, um, and because you still want to push your body to that limit, because we do compete as well. And we need to make sure we know how to hold that intensity for competition purposes, but we don't need to train at that level all the time. Um, another, and 
kind of that coincides with that, I think another big thing that happens is as we fatigue during a workout, our form starts to, to falter. So you may start that first round or first couple of round sets that look, form looks great. And by the end, you are using your back for every single pull you do off the ground or your torso is coming really forward on every squat you do. Um, we just lose that good technique because we aren't being aware of our body movements when we start to fatigue. And um, I think that's a big issue or that's one of the other reasons, a big reason that people get a lot of injuries or not even injuries, but even just flare ups is because we just lose that technique as we fatigue out. Yeah. And so I think two, two really great points. And I want to go back to that first one you did, because I think that's uh, a big part of it where you're saying it may, sometimes it looks like people are always pushing hard, but you don't know. And I, I'll, I'll kind of relate that to when I see like an elite runner and they just look like they're chilling and they're running like a five mile, you know, a five minute mile pace or something like that. And they probably are, you know, some of them, that's not that big a deal for them where it's like, if I run a five minute mile pace, I'm probably throwing up, you know, shortly after. Um, Cause you know, that's just more than I can handle, but everybody's, you know, their physiology is different, their mechanics and they are, their, their heart rates are probably lower. The, the strain on their body is way less than me, me trying to sprint that fast. And I think that's important, whether it's running or lifting some people, yeah, they might have 200 pounds on the bar and they're doing whatever. And you might be thinking, well, this person is just like pushing super hard. And for them, you know, they're strong and, and that's not a big deal. So I, I think that's important perspective to bring up is you can't really judge other people. You can't watch what other people are doing because you don't know what's going on inside. That's, you know, are they really struggling? Are they going 80%? Are they leaving a few reps after every set? Like you're training to failure every set and they're leaving two, three reps in the tank, you know, that those are big differences that we have to pay attention to there. Absolutely. And then, uh, and then I love that, uh, the whole point of, you know, race versus a workout or competition versus a workout where every workout doesn't have to be a race, you know, and it's like you said, yeah, let's test ourselves every once in a while, but um, we can't keep that pace. You know, that's, that's what races are for to like really see what you, what, what the purpose of your training was, was doing and did it accomplish its task. Um, kind of on the same topic. So I know you work a lot with runners and you do a lot with running technique. Uh, and I know that's a, an area that a lot of people struggle with because, you know, you, <laughs> it's funny to think, you know, you just go out and run, right? That, that's all it is. We, we should be able to do that, but unfortunately our bodies don't like to, to do the things they're supposed to do. So what do you think are, you know, what are the most common things you see with running that, that people either aren't doing or doing where they, where they kind of go wrong there? Yeah. The, what I call the three main faults that I tend to see are heel striking, which can creates an overstriding, um, that naturally puts more force through the leg and through the body, um, how we come off the ground. So a lot of the calf strains that we get are because we're constantly pushing our whole body off the ground rather than actually using our hamstring to help pull our leg off the ground, which can decrease. I mean, you're using a lot. You need a lot less force through your hamstring to pull your leg off the ground than you do through your calf to push your entire body off the ground. So that right there tells you the difference of energy being used. Um, 
The other thing too, especially if when I see people who are getting a lot of back pain with running is looking at what the torso is doing. If someone has a really good forward trunk lean, the only way to keep their head and chest up with that is by putting a lot of extension through their back, through their spine, which over time is going to fatigue and um, flare up those back muscles. Awesome. So just to recap, that's, um, you know, heel striking is a big issue that you'll see. Um, I, the next one I want to touch on a little bit with you, uh, kind of pushing versus pulling mm -hmm. with the running and then, um, increasing that lumbar spine curve because of the forward lean. Um, but yeah, let's, so let's go back to that pushing versus pulling idea. Cause that's, I think that's an interesting topic to bring up. Um, so maybe let's explain that a little bit more just uh, because I think some people might not understand exactly what you're saying. Cause I might, if I'm trying to look at this from a beginner, that's what my caps for, right? Like, so what do you, how, what do you mean? Right. I'm supposed to push myself forward with, with my toe, I guess, or midfoot, whatever you might call it. Yeah. And it's hard. Like the, when you learn how to do it differently, you do feel a difference, but we do need to get onto our toe. Like that is absolutely necessary for proper running. But then it's a matter of how do we get that foot off the ground? Do we, do you push off with that toe, which typically creates a more of a vertical force, or do you pull your leg off the ground with your hamstring? Where the big difference, or there's a couple of big differences that lie here on what happens with the body. When we're pushing ourselves off, um, we are, typically giving ourselves a little bit of a vertical displacement. So we're naturally then having to break that vertical displacement to continue moving forward. So we're losing a lot of energy and we're using a lot more energy to keep ourselves moving forward. Versus if we pull that leg off the ground with our more of our hamstring, um, we don't get the upward momentum that we would get with our calf. We get more of a forward momentum with it so then naturally the forces that happen naturally let that leg just come around forward. So we also aren't using our hip flexor as much to then bring that leg forward. Um, so there's a lot of energy conservation that happens when we pull that leg versus when we push our body. So essentially you're saying one, your, your chances of overuse injury are decreasing like that calf and Achilles and mm -hmm. probably plantar fascia that are, are really under strain with that kind of pushing movement. And then two, it's, you're wasting a lot of energy. You know, it's almost like what you're saying with the vertical displacement, almost like jumping from foot to foot versus striding from, from foot to foot and using your energy to move to the next, next step. Absolutely. It's a perfect way to put it. And I think that kind of what you're saying with how it, it, um, kind of more naturally brings you into that next stride. Um, I know this is something I had an issue with back in my track days with overstriding. And I think that was probably a lot of the same thing going on where I was so focused on pushing myself forward. And then that made me kind of reach mm -hmm. with my, my uh, swing leg. Now I'm in a, just a vulnerable position. That foot hits the ground, that hamstrings lengthened. And now I'm asking it to pull pull me back under. And I think a lot of people might fall into that trap too, where now you're trying to maybe go into more of a sprint and you're pulling yourself along in a compromised position. And now, Hey, we're going to put the hamstring at a, a increased risk. Absolutely. Yeah. That, when typically heel striking, we're also over striding, which definitely strains that hamstring, both 
from the back end pulling it forward and also extending it forward as it's landing on the ground. Yeah, and um, I, I think you know when when we think about that hamstring becoming more like, like you said, it, you'll feel the difference when you get it down. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know when I try and work on these different things, it it's a little more fatiguing, right? Because you're not doing what you want to do. So mm -hmm. you know you're trying to break that old habit. And I think that's just something for people to realize that you, you, you might take a step back to, to move two steps forward because we're trying to become more efficient and it, you're going to be using that mental energy to think about, you know, we don't typically think like left foot, right foot and, you know, all, all through the cycles. But if you're really focusing on some of these things, it, it's a little draining uh, and, and you'll be fatigued. And that's, yes. And that's a great thing to point out is that, you do, you will find yourself fatiguing faster initially when you're training this over time though, as it becomes just like say doing the monkey bars were for you or doing a pull-up eventually, as you get that technique down, it becomes easy and you can cycle them very simply running techniques the same way as you improve that. One thing to note, if you are going to start working on running technique, make sure you don't have any big races planned within the next eight to 12 weeks. Um, if you have just your B, C, D races, totally cool. If you have an A race, do not start working on running technique because you will mess yourself up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another, yeah, that's kind of brings up the point, like when you have an off season and we're, we're going to be taking some time, like this is a perfect thing to work on, right? Yeah. When you, when you don't have those big races, let's sacrifice a little bit. So you're going to have some big gains down the road. Absolutely. So, um, I think kind of related, but uh, another topic I wanted to touch on with you is this whole idea of barefoot training. So I know you do a lot with that. So, um, well, one, let's just start. What, uh, what are the benefits of, of barefoot training? Let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So our bodies, how do I best explain this? So we basically, our bodies respond to movement patterns that we kind of have. So essentially, as you are, say, walking before your foot even hits the ground, milliseconds before muscles are firing in order to be on so they can support your body. When we are wearing shoes, any sort of barrier in between the ground and our foot, our bodies basically don't learn those patterns. So we aren't getting as much of that preactive firing of our muscles. So when our foot's hitting the ground, we get this delayed response, which in itself, especially for walking, not necessarily a bad thing, but if we're trying to do something more forceful, more dynamic, it's can place us at a higher, higher risk of injury, but more often than not, it's causing us to fatigue faster because those muscles are happening to work harder in order to fire. When the foot is on the ground, we get that proprioceptive feedback from the ground directly. The other thing that happens, not when you're on concrete or asphalt, but if you're on any natural surface, so like wood, grass, dirt, um, even like rubber matting, you get a little bit of it, is there's natural vibration that happens. Our bodies pick up that vibration from the vibration in the ground and whatever natural um, substance it is. And that also helps our bodies to respond better to um, to the surface we're standing or, or moving on. So it naturally being barefoot, um, 
besides a lot of other benefits, like that's a huge one is it allows our body to react to the ground better. So we aren't, um, we are preactively firing our muscles better and we aren't fatiguing as fast. Yeah. And it makes sense too, with just thinking about it naturally, you know, we, we weren't born with sneakers on and it's something that we should be able to get, get by without sneakers. Now, obviously with modern society and, and rocks and glass and, and things, you know, sneakers have a purpose, but, um, I, I you're explaining a lot of re really great benefits of taking advantage that, that many people might not. So let's start with where would people start? Because, you know, I, I, I think some people will see something like this or read an article and then it's like, kick the shoes off. Let me go run a marathon and, you know, see what happens. You know, obviously I'm exaggerating, but I think people, they, they're, they aren't sure where to start. So what would you recommend where we get started with? If we, I want to mess around being barefoot. You know, if someone's not used to being barefoot, if they're literally in their shoes all the time, first and foremost, just be barefoot at home. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you hire, have a little kid with Legos all over the floor, like maybe then you don't want to be barefoot, but <laughs> most often your home environment is a safe one where you don't have rocks, broken glass, like all these possible things that could injure your feet on your floor, be barefoot at home. Just start walking around barefoot, get your foot used to being on the ground, get those muscles used to firing a little bit. Um, from there or along with that, actually, can do simple things to just start getting the foot muscles activated again. So there's one simple exercise called short foot. You're basically just standing up in place and pushing the heel and the toes gently into the ground to basically just kind of form that little arch of your foot. Start working on that, activating those feet a little bit. The other really good one I love to do with people because most people struggle with it is technically our feet should be as dexterous as our hands are. The anatomy is nearly identical. Most people can't control their toes individually. So just learning how to control your big toe, keeping all your small toes down, lifting your big toe up, holding that for a little bit, and then reversing that, bringing all your toes up, taking just your big toes down, holding that, and really working on being able to control that. Um, I think those are probably the best places to start with trying yeah. to start being barefoot. Yeah. And I, I'll uh, attest to the, that dexterity is it's difficult if you're not used to it. I, I know that's when I first heard about that, I worked on it and like my foot just wanted to cramp immediately. Right. Cause it's just, the muscles are like, I, I don't know what you want me to do. So I'm just going to cramp. So you can't do it anymore, <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> but it's just like anything you, you get better. And you know, I can't, I can't play the piano with my toes, but I can, I can at least get a little wiggle in there, which is um, which I think is, is really helpful. I've even, um, I used to do, uh, have a, a rock mat, you know, that I would have in our shower. And I, I just love that where, you know, you're standing on, you know, obviously there's smooth rocks and it, but it makes your feet just move, right? Like it's not locked up in that cage with the lights out. It can actually feel things and move around. And, and like you're saying, get, improve that proprioception, get, give your body the ability to understand what your feet are supposed to do. So yeah. Um, those little things are really helpful. We don't have to go right to training. Not at all. And I, I, there might be some people that do suggest that, but for me, I don't suggest that to start like, or if you do just do some body weight stuff, do some squats barefoot just to start getting some movement under you, but definitely don't need to go to the gym or run barefoot or minimalist by any means right away. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I agree. I, I think um, I like to just warm up barefoot 
you know, once I go through my warm up drills, I put my sneakers on and then I'm running or I'm lifting or whatever it might be. Um, so what about you, you know, you brought up minimalist shoes. Let's just get your thoughts on good, bad, whatever. I, I personally think they're good. They're definitely, I'm going to say there's a small percentage of the population, um, that probably can't be in them. And it's more of just genetic structural things of their feet. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the majority of the population, they are going to be very, very beneficial. With that said, do not go from a full supportive shoe straight to a minimalist shoe 100% and expect that to go well. Mm-hmm. That is not going to go well. You're going to get injured. There definitely is a process of weaning yourself into the shoes. Maybe it's just wearing them at home. Maybe it's wearing them for the first half mile warm up of your run and then going into your regular shoes. Um, or like you said, Mike, wearing them for your warm up and then putting your shoes on to continue the rest of the workout. Um, and then over time, getting yourself in them a little bit, a little bit further and a little bit further um, and continuing to work on foot strengthening exercises in the process as well. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, that was all amazing stuff. And, and um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much for, for uh, you know, providing your insight on um, barefoot training on, you know, injury prevention and all of this. If, if people want to learn a little bit more about you, uh, where, where should we uh, send them to? Yeah. Um, best place is going to be my website, getyourfixpt.com. Um, you can also find me on social media, Instagram at the.ocr.doc, or you can find me on Facebook to search my name, Brianne Showman. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll put links to all that in our show notes for this episode. So make it easier for everybody. You can just click on those and it'll take you right over there. Uh, so Brianne, thank you so much. It was great talking with you again. And um, I'm really grateful for you to come on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I love talking about this stuff. So I was happy to do so. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll see you soon at a race or out and about somewhere. One of these days. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 76. It felt good to to finally get a recording out there. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, For any of the links, don't forget to head on over to the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 76. Uh, A big shout out and thank you. Uh, to our special guest this week, week Brianne Showman. And again, I'll put all of the uh, links and ways to uh, check out her her stuff um, in the show notes as well. Uh, and again, thank you to our sponsors, Venga CBD. Make sure you uh, head over to the, the site to download or order your own training calendar so you can get ready for this year. And then definitely check out FitBar at fitbarstrong.com for some of their awesome OCR specific training products. All right. Well, uh, that's it for this one, guys. And hopefully we'll get another one uh, back real soon because I hopefully have some some other cool announcements coming up and definitely want to get the word out there on on some of those things coming up. So uh, until next time, keep training smarter.